The Democrats have apparently discovered the fountain of youth, rage. Speaking last week, Senator Bernie Sanders, a crazed elderly loon, recently spotted wandering around the country shouting about wealth and equality while closing on a second vacation home, stated, quote, you should be angry. Take your anger out on the right people. Mayor Eric Garcetti of Los Angeles, speaking to Politico, explained, quote, if we only turn that anger inward, I fear we become the permanent party of opposition. Over the next couple months, we'd better get our act together. The Democrats are late to the game. During the 2016 election cycle, Republicans expressed their anger routinely and richly. Trump himself cultivated that anger. As Ian Tuttle rightly wrote at National Review in 2015, quote, many conservatives are having their Howard Beale moment. They're mad as hell, and they don't want to sit down and take it anymore. Now, anger is nothing new in politics. Anger has dominated political discourse since the days of Moses. Ask him how he felt about a stiff-necked people seemingly ready to throw him overboard every few weeks. And some anger is, of course, justified. If you're angry at corruption in D.C., you have every right to be. If you're angry at a heedless leviathan grasping at your wages, that anger is justified. Even if you channel that emotion in the wrong direction, we can at least understand the anger. But something new has happened to American politics in the last few years. Politicians have realized that the simplest path to power is to humor everyone's anger. If you take someone's anger away from them, you've emotionally castrated them. More important, you run the risk of driving them into the arms of someone who will feed their anger, an anger that will now turn on you for the sin of having discounted that anger in the first place. This is deeply unhealthy. One of the great lies of psychology, dominant since the era of Freud, is that coddling emotions leads to more emotional fulfillment. Actually, coddling emotions leads to emotional unhealthiness. It even leads us to wallow in our emotions. Anger feels good, and it feels even better when someone tells you you're not wrong to be angry in the first place. If you crave emotional payoff, and if those around you are taught to cosset your emotions, you're likely to engage more and more often in emotionally overwrought behavior. Bad psychologists indulge their clients' emotional states. Good psychologists ask whether those emotional states are justified. As social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, among other states, cognitive behavioral therapy, a technique used to treat those with emotional disorders, is generally as effective as antidepressants for anxiety and depression. Therapy consists of identifying illogical links in a chain of thought that lead to an emotionally hazardous place. You might figure out, for example, that you're attributing motives to someone even though you have no evidence about his motives, or that you overgeneralize, or that you're looking only at the bad things in your life rather than at the good things. Once you've identified your own faulty thinking, you can stop the emotional runaway train. Politicians, however, are trained to do the opposite. Politicians spend their lives seeking the favor of others. That means they find it wildly beneficial to nurse the emotions and the grievances of constituents. The customer is always right, of course. It means that if a constituent is angry, the best option isn't to help break the chain of emotional volatility. It's to channel that volatility into beating back enemies. If you wonder why generic congressional support is so low, but support for local incumbents is so high, this is why. Your local congressman hears you and understands you, but the faraway government full of cronies and fools, simply doesn't. On a national level, such pandering has become endemic. It's why Hillary Clinton presided over the intersectional Olympics in 2016, in which voters must constantly be reassured that their anger at alleged victimhood isn't illegitimate, and why Trump spends an inordinate amount of time talking about Rust Belt voters who must be reassured that their anger at the system and China and Mexico is worthwhile, all of which makes for a toxic politics. The founders knew Public passions were constantly at risk of demagoguery. It's why they weren't Democrats. They believed in a system that would check passion with passion, and they believed in a system in which each politician would be forced to answer to so many different factions, he would be fully incapable of satisfying all of them. In Federalist 10, Madison eloquently laid out the problem of demagoguery. His answer? Gridlock. 
federalism, various legislative entities, passions incapable of satisfaction at the governmental level. Without such a system, Madison wrote, the despotism of the majority would rule, quote, if the impulse and the opportunity be suffered to coincide, we well know that neither moral nor religious motives can be relied on as an adequate control. Madison was not wrong to rely on the intricate framework of the American government as a bulwark against the perverse passions of the majority. But he also relied on local interests to supersede national interest and diffusion of power to defeat virtually all interests. The growth of the federal government has rendered all such notions obsolete. On the one hand, local interests can now dictate national interests. President Trump can cater to the anger of a factory worker by promising tariffs that affect everyone. On the other hand, every local politician can now campaign nationally. Eric Garcetti barely presides over the potholes in L.A., but he's seen as the national face for his party. The result? A national pathology. And the only cure? Americans must get real. And that means, unfortunately, politicians have to be brave. They must tell voters when their anger is both misplaced and unearned. They must be willing to stand with truth rather than with the power of sympathy. If they don't, the anger that politicians have attempted to channel for their own ends will eventually burst loose in ways those politicians never anticipated. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, we're going to get to all of the latest with regard to this horrific shooting in Alexandria, Virginia today. For those who don't know, uh, there was a, a leftist, apparent leftist psychopath who went and shot a bunch of members of Congress and their aides uh, over at a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. They were practicing for a congressional softball charity game. Uh, it's the only nice thing in Washington, D.C., and it has to be ruined by, uh, by a, a radical leftist who decided to murder people. Uh, we'll talk about all of that, the fallout from that, and what it means for free speech and who gets to be blamed for all of this. And I want to be as clear on that as humanly possible. But before we get to any of that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Blue Apron. So Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Everyone in L.A. is using Everyone all over the country is using Blue Apron. The way that it works is that you go on, you register, and then they deliver to you the ingredients and the recipes so you cook the meal at home. Totally fresh. If the ingredients aren't fresh, they make it right. And the recipes are just top-notch. It's all five-star cuisine. Like upcoming meals, beef teriyaki stir-fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice, three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce. But you make it yourself, so it allows you time to bond with your family. You don't have to go out to a restaurant and pay lots of money for it. Instead, you just go over to Blue Apron, and they deliver to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99% of food food deserts. Again, the way that this works is now you can spend under $10 per person for a delicious meal, so you no longer have to spend tons and tons of money in order to get a fantastic meal. Plus, again, the family that cooks together stays together. Check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals for free. By the way, the recipes always rotate. Get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Shapiro. Use that slash Shapiro. You get those first three meals free, so you can try it out. Really an amazing service. Again, that's blueapron.com slash Shapiro. You'll love how good it feels and it tastes to create these incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash Shapiro. It is indeed a better way to cook. Always fresh, always delicious. Okay, so let's jump right into the news. So obviously, uh, you know what I have to say about political anger has some bearing on what just happened in Alexandria, Virginia. So here is what we now know. We know that the shooter, the alleged shooter, uh, and I only say alleged for legal reasons, his name is James T. Hodgkinson. He's identified by the Washington Post, 66 years old. And here's what the Washington Post reports. They say the shooter at the GOP congressional baseball practice this morning is James T. Hodgkinson of Belleville, Illinois, according to law enforcement officials. Hodgkinson, 66, owns a home inspection business. His home inspection license expired in November 2016 and was not renewed, according to state records. He was charged in April 2006 with battery and 
aiding damage to a motor vehicle. So he's got a history of some violence as well. Here's some of the media coverage of the congressional baseball practice shootings clip 19. There, so there were two bits of gunfire and About how long three, did they last? Pop, pop, pop. And it was returned, then another bunch. It, it went on for a while. I would say at least four to five minutes starting and stopping. So it could have been someone was trying to catch the guy that was shooting at him, or he was beginning to take out everybody my thinking was in the YMCA. You said you ran right into the house. You felt concerned. Kind of elaborate on what was going through your mind. I'm sure your heart was well, racing. You're in your yard mowing the lawn, and there's shots up the street. You don't want to get shot just to mow your grass. Okay, so it's just horrifying. They say 50 to 60 shots were fired. Uh, Congress Senator Rand Paul was there. He said if the police had not been there, there would have definitely been a massacre. Apparently, Capitol Police were there because Steve Scalise, who was shot, he's the House Majority Whip, uh, he, uh, he had brought... Uh, some some security with him, and the Capitol Police ended up shooting the guy and apparently killing him. This uh, this piece of crap, James Hodgkinson, is indeed dead. Here's Rand Paul talking about what it would have been. Circumstances as they played out in Alexandria right now, we are hearing more details from Mo Brooks, that Alabama Republican who was among those present today at that baseball practice. He said this morning in an interview of the shooter, he was going after elected officials. It sure as heck wasn't an accident. And Rand Paul, the Kentucky senator, who was also there, said to have been warming up in a batting cage during this practice. He was just heaping praise on the Capitol Police, who he says happened to be there because the majority whip, Steve Scalise, was there. He said, had they not been there, it would have been a massacre. Mm -hmm. This morning, Rand Paul and others are praising the police specifically for their bravery on this. Mo Brooks, as a congressman on the scene, he also described the shooting. And then there's another GOP representative uh, who said that before the shooting, this this guy, Hodgkinson, walked up to him and asked him if Democrats or Republicans were playing on the field. So yes, there was political motivation. This would fall under the category of political terrorism. Here is representative describing uh, this this murderer come, or attempted murder, because I don't think anyone has died yet except for the shooter, uh, asked, asking whether it was Republicans or Democrats practicing on the field. What I'd like to talk to you is give you a, an overview of what took place. And, uh, we received a call of an active shooter, shots fired at 07 09, nine minutes uh, after uh, seven this morning, uh, here at the park on Monroe, Simpson Park. At that time, there was a practice team event with a baseball team uh, of folks that were representing uh, some folks on the hill. Uh, we were there within three minutes. Uh, we do know that officers from the Office of Capitol Police, Capitol Police, as well as three officers. Okay, so terrific response by Capitol Police. They get there within three to five minutes. Governor Terry McAuliffe, who is the governor of Virginia, he, of course, came out immediately with the Democratic talking points. Whenever there's a situation like this, the Democratic talking point is it must be the guns. Now, According to Rand Paul, if there's nobody there with a gun, then this guy just mows everybody down and he can do it at his leisure. I mean, he's literally walking through a crowded area. There are kids there uh, and he's just killing people. Governor Terry McAuliffe, however, he says this is really just the result of too many guns. This is clip 23. Do you think anything more needs to do to protect politicians? Well, let me say this. I think we need to do more to protect all of our citizens. I have long advocated uh, this is not what today is about, but there are too many guns on the street. 
we lose 93 million Americans a day to gun violence. I mean, I've long talked about this. Background okay, check, this is shutting he's down an insane person. We don't lose 93 million Americans a day. And again, it was a good guy with a gun who stopped the bad guy with a gun, not gun control laws. There are background checks. This guy was from Illinois, where there's heavy gun control. Uh, and we don't know where he got the gun. We don't know if he went through a background check. He apparently, as I say, had a couple of, uh, of run-ins with the law. He was charged with battery and aiding damage to a motor vehicle, so he clearly had some issues. He probably shouldn't have gotten a gun if there was a background check, so we will see what is revealed. But again, the Democrats always jump there instead of jumping to a bad person decided to go off. And here's what we know about Hodgkinson. Hodgkinson hated Trump. Here's something else that we know about Hodgkinson. Hodgkinson loved Bernie Sanders. Okay, so we have all sorts of graphics from his Facebook page. His Facebook page, its chief its key image is a picture of Bernie Sanders in the Uncle Sam outfit. He's got pages up that he is that he's been tweeting that he's been putting out on his Facebook page, talking about how corporations write bills and Congress uh, are, is bribed until it becomes a law. Here's something that he just said: "Quote: I want to say this was two days ago. I want to say, Mr. President, for being an a-hole, you are truly the biggest a-hole we have ever had in the Oval Office." Okay, same day, make America great again, resign. And then he tweets, a, puts out on Facebook a graphic that says, all in all, it's just another bleep in the wall picture of Trump with his hand against the Western Wall. It says, same day, Trump is guilty and should go to prison for treason. He has, a, on June 11th, please read and pass on. And there's a quote from Alternet, stop fighting over who created the world and fight against the people who are destroying it uh, in, in March. Uh, he, he put out on his Facebook page, Trump is a traitor. Trump has destroyed our democracy. It's time to destroy Trump and company. So this is leading to the same conversation that we always have in the country when a domestic politically motivated terrorist decides to go on a rampage. And we've seen this already in Portland. Uh, the guy who was responsible for murdering a couple of people with a knife was a Bernie Sanders supporter. Democrats have always tried to claim that Republicans are responsible whenever there is a, a violent crime. They tried to claim that Jared Loftner, who's legitimately an insane person, uh, was responsible for killing Gabby Giffords because of Sarah Palin for some odd reason. Uh, they tried to claim the Oklahoma City bombing was because of talk radio. Going all the way back to the 1960s, JFK and his administration, after his death, tried to claim that it was the toxic political rhetoric and the climate against against JFK that led to his assassination, not a communist stooge who shot JFK because he was a communist. Again, there is always this conversation that happens. And I think that there are several points that need to be made here. One, I am not going to blame Bernie Sanders for the attempted murder of these Congress people. I'm not. He uses inflammatory rhetoric. Uh, Terry McAuliffe himself uses inflammatory rhetoric. Here's an example. Yesterday, there's McAuliffe going out there about gun control. Clip one, he was talking about how there are treasonous Americans, presumably inside the Trump administration, coordinating with Russia to steal the election. Do you we'll think that there are Americans who committed treason? I think as we get into this, it seems to me that Russia was actively involved in destabilizing our democracy. But were there somebody, American people? Home? Somebody, I believe, had to give him a roadmap. Somewhere in this, somebody was directing the Russians on whose names to use, what impact a certain people sending a memo would have on the American electorate. I mean, they just didn't sit over in some cubicle over there somewhere in Moscow and figure this out. Okay, so there he is basically humoring the idea that somebody has committed treason. The penalty for treason under the Constitution of the United States is death. Is that because Terry McAuliffe actually wants some nutcase to go and shoot up a bunch of people? No, I don't think so. This is heated political rhetoric. It's pretty normal. So I, I want to point out a couple. Of, so, so let's start with this. 
Just because Bernie Sanders says inflammatory things does not make him responsible for what this guy did any more than the fact that Donald Trump says inflammatory things would make him responsible if somebody had gone and done this to Democrats. Okay, That's not how political rhetoric works in the country. I judge whether political rhetoric is directly responsible for violence if the political rhetoric directly tells people to commit acts of violence. That's when political rhetoric is responsible for violence. Otherwise, we're going to get into very dicey territory where we decide to shut down free speech because it could promote violence. That's the direction everybody likes to move. Right? Barack Obama did a, a whole campaign-style rally after the Gabby Giffords shooting in which he blamed toxic political rhetoric from the right, and he blamed lack of gun control, and then he suggested that basically the right and its toxicity was responsible in some way for all of this. I'm not going to do that because I thought it was immoral when Obama did it, and I think it's immoral when anybody does it. The way that you can connect rhetoric and ideology with actual violence is if that rhetoric and ideology is actually calling for violence. So, for example, radical Islamic jihadism actually calls for violence. Governing Sharia law is a call for actual violence against human beings. And one of the ways that you can judge whether the rhetoric is actually calling for violence is whether this is a rare exception to a general rule or whether it is a widespread belief, a wide-held belief, and a lot of people are participating in it. So terrorism is a widespread thing. It's happening all over the world. There are regimes that are participating in it. There are regimes that are funding it. And there are large swaths of the population in the radical Muslim world and in the just fundamentalist Muslim world that are supportive of the general beliefs of some of the terrorists, including the use of violence. Okay, that is not the case here. I'm not seeing the upsurge from the left saying, I'm so glad that this guy went out and shot a bunch of a bunch of Republican Congress people. So I'm not going to equate American leftists with jihadists. And just because the left does this to the right doesn't mean it's okay for us to do it. Just because the Southern Poverty Law Center tries to connect every act by a, a loon who once listened to Rush Limbaugh with Rush Limbaugh's views does not mean that I'm going to participate in the same thing because I think it's disgusting when they do it. So it'd be equally disgusting when we do it. And I want to talk about, though, uh, I do want to talk about when rhetoric is responsible for creating a toxic climate and what that actually means generally. So I've talked about when rhetoric is directly responsible for violence. I'm not, I'm not, I'll, talk, and I'll, I'll talk about in a second when it's sort of indirectly responsible for creating a climate that creates more of these sort of isolated events. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Tracker. So if you lose your wallet, if you lose your phone, if you lose your keys, and if it happens all the time, this is why you need Tracker. I lose my wallet, phone, and keys all the time, or at least I did, until we got the Tracker. The Tracker is a coin-sized device that you stick on your keys, you stick on your wallet, you stick in your bags, uh, you can implement the, the program on your phone, and then you can use the Tracker app to find everything in seconds. And if you lose your phone, well, then you press the button on your Tracker device, or even ask your Alexa, and the phone will start ringing, even if it is on silent. Tracker has the largest crowd locate network in the world, so it can find your items even if they are miles away. Tracker.com is awesome. It's helped save my marriage because we lose stuff all the time. Right now, if you go to Tracker.com, T-R-A-C-K-R.com, and use that promo code Ben, you save 20% on any Tracker package. You can save 20% on any Tracker package when you go to Tracker.com and use that promo code Ben. As you can see, the devices are exactly the size of a quarter, and uh, they are they are. Not only unobtrusive, they are highly, highly useful. So you never have to lose your stuff again, tracker.com, and use that promo code Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so I've talked a little bit about the, the idea that left rhetoric, you know, Terry McAuliffe's rhetoric, Bernie Sanders' rhetoric, I'm not going to blame that rhetoric for this guy going out and doing this stuff. And by the way, I'm not going to blame even Kathy Griffin's rhetoric. I'm not going to say that Kathy Griffin is responsible for this guy going out and shooting Congress people. Because I don't think Kathy Griffin told this guy to go out and shoot Congress people or said, I think it's okay if you go out and shoot Congress people. I think she's an idiot. I think she's a fool. If, if the Secret Service actually thought that she was advocating assassination, they would have arrested her. Right? It is not a crime to say gauche things. A lot of people today on the right are going to do the Shakespeare in the Park 
routine where, where Julius Caesar is played by Trump and assassinated, that this is what led to the events of today. I'm not going to do that because I think it's gross when the left does that. Yeah, I think that there can be a badly interpreted play. I think that there can be a play that I would think crosses some lines without saying that it is directly responsible for the violence. Now, it is true that as rhetoric and violent rhetoric escalates on both sides of the political aisle, and it's been ignored on the left by the media, the right is pointing it out with regard to Trump, and it is certainly true. The Kathy Griffin stuff, the Shakespeare in the Park stuff, a toxic political climate is not going to make rational people go out and shoot Congress people, but it is going to have an outsized impact on what we in the legal field call somebody with an eggshell skull, right? The idea that somebody is right on the verge, and now the climate has become so toxic that, they, that he's going to go nuts and start shooting people. The toxic political climate is indirectly responsible for this. So what does that suggest? It suggests everybody should ratchet this stuff down a little bit. We keep hearing the war rhetoric from the left. We keep hearing the treason, the resist rhetoric from the left. We keep hearing the war rhetoric from the right. And the response has been from, from people on both sides of the aisle to keep upping the ante. Well, if they use a tactic, why can't we use a tactic? If they use violent rhetoric, why can't we use violent rhetoric? If, they bl if the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, blames the right every time something bad happens, why can't we do that too? Why can't we just keep making the rhetoric... Why can't we just keep making everything more and more and more toxic? Okay, listen, I am not shy when it comes to using rhetoric. If you've ever seen the show before, if you've ever seen any of my videos, I'm not shy about speaking what I believe to be the truth, and I'm not even shy about using harsh language. But when it comes to advocacy of political violence or giving the go-ahead to anything that remotely hints at political violence, that's where we all need to take a step back, not because it's going to lead to widespread battles in the streets, although we have seen some of that with Antifa, which actually is a violent terrorist group, not only have we, but, but it's going to have an impact if the entire culture goes toxic. If the entire culture just becomes a war of all against all, then that doesn't mean it's going to turn into open warfare in the streets, but it does mean that more nutty people who are right on the brink are going to be pushed over the line into doing something truly awful and truly violent. So here's my recommendation. Everybody should take it down a notch. Try to decide whether your anger is justified before you vent your anger. Try to decide whether something is worth tweeting before you tweet it. Try to decide whether that Facebook post talking about how you wish Trump would just die already is worth doing if you're on the left. And if you're on the right, try not to respond by saying, I hope you die. Right. Let's let's all just take it down a notch, because I don't think that either you or the guy you're posting with is going to go and shoot somebody. But I think that somebody who's reading might be outside. It might be impacted in outside fashion. Now, I don't make decisions and I don't think anybody needs to make decisions about their personal behavior based on the nutcase who could go nuts. But I also think it's kind of immoral to talk in these ways as a general rule. So I think that we should all take a step back in that, in that, sort, of, in that sort of notion. Uh, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't use harsh language. I mean, for goodness sake, I've signed books punched back twice as hard using the Obama rhetoric with regard to political battles. But that is not the same thing as openly advocating for violence against people on the other side of the aisle. Obviously, meaning things figuratively is not a good thing. And uh, I think that people, including me, should maybe take a step back uh, on all of this. And so instead of, in other words, instead of blaming Bernie Sanders, instead of blaming Donald Trump for people who are bad doing bad things, I think we should recognize it's a free country. People should say what they want to say, but people should also take care that maybe it's not a great thing if we decide to inject the toxicity of violence into our rhetoric at every available turn. And it's been just upped dramatically in recent years. Okay, so I now want to turn to more toxicity in our political culture um, but you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com right now because we're going to discuss the Sessions hearing, what actually happened yesterday in the Sessions hearing. Big nothing burger. We're going to talk about why the Democrats were over their skis on it. But you have to go to dailywire.com and subscribe right now if you want that. Dailywire.com. $8 a month gets you a subscription to dailywire.com. You can be part of the mailbag, which we'll be doing on Friday. If you have questions, by the way, for my pops, my dad is going to be stopping by and we're going to talk about 
our brand new book. Uh, and uh, if you have questions for him about me, about anything else, then send us those questions. We will do a mailbag with my father on Friday, so you can subscribe for that. Or if you want an annual subscription, you get a free signed copy of that book that I wrote with my dad. Say it so, all about the 2005 White Sox baseball season and fathers and sons in baseball. It's a really fun book, great Father's Day gift, and I will sign it for you so you get it for free. And that's if you get an annual subscription. If you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and make sure that you leave us a review and subscribe. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So as I say, I think everybody should take a step back and everybody should be a little bit more considered in their language, not because they're responsible for shootings, but because bad people, people on the edge will use even the mildest excuse to go off. That doesn't mean censor yourself. It does mean if you're thinking about saying something kind of immoral, just don't say it. Again, my basic rule of thumb is if it's immoral to say it, then don't say it. And the evidence is that it's immoral to say it is that more and more people are, are going over the line based on this sort of immorality. The Democrats are not making things easier. The Democrats are, are vile uh, when, they, when it comes to how they are pursuing their political prosecution of the Trump administration. I think there are legitimate questions to be asked about the, the firing of James Comey, but I don't think Democrats are interested in asking any of those. I think the Democrats are interested in getting Trump, and I think they're very obvious in how they speak about President Trump, and it is certainly toxifying the political climate even further than it has already been toxified. So Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, appears on the Hill yesterday. And I guess the theory of the left on Jeff Sessions is that he was somehow colluding with the Russians in order to steal the election or manipulate the election when he was part of the Trump campaign. I've met Jeff Sessions. Okay, I know Senator Sessions. I know Stephen Miller, who is his top aide, who now works for the White House. You have to be insane to believe this. Okay, Jeff Sessions is basically Huckleberry Hound. He seems like a nice guy. He's basically Huckleberry Hound. So I think that it is a mistake for Democrats to to start treating Jeff Sessions as though he's sitting in the back room reading Gogol novels before he decides to translate all of his latest memos into, into Russian. So Sessions appears on the Hill yesterday, and he did a pretty good job of making no headlines, which is what he needed to do. He went out there and he said, listen, folks, you know, I recused myself from the Trump-Russia investigation, but I'm not going to sit here and do nothing while you accuse me of colluding with Vladimir Putin to subvert the United States government. Okay, here's Jeff Sessions saying just that yesterday. I recuse myself from any investigation into the campaign for president, but I did not recuse myself from defending my honor against scurrilous and false allegations. At all times throughout the course of the campaign, the confirmation process, and since becoming attorney general, I have dedicated myself to the highest standards. Okay, and again, I think that Sessions is exactly right here. And when he says this in his slow, drawling accent, as John Podhoritz molasses in the air, when he says this stuff, it's very difficult to believe that this is a guy who's sitting in the back room with Sergei Kislyak figuring out how to destroy democracy. Uh, Sessions also came forward. He said he has confidence in Robert Mueller. Uh, Mueller, a lot of people on the right have been saying they don't have confidence in the special counsel to properly investigate Trump-Russia. Sessions says he does have confidence in Mueller, so... The left basically gets what it wants here. I'm not sure why they're complaining. Here's Sessions saying that. I have known Mr. Mueller over the years. He served 12 years as a FBI director. He, uh, I knew him before that, and uh, I have confidence uh, in Mr. Mueller. So you have confidence in But I'm not job. going to uh, discuss any hypotheticals of what might be a factual situation in the future that I'm not aware of. Okay, so this, of course, is, I think, the, the correct answer. The, the one that, that got the left all mad is that he said he couldn't answer some of their questions, which, of course, he can't. 
Okay, he, he invoked prospective executive privilege. A lot of people are saying, well, he can't do that. Trump has to invoke executive privilege. Right. But if you are asked a question in an open hearing and you don't know whether the president would invoke executive privilege, you don't have time to call him up on his cell phone and say, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, do you want to invoke executive privilege? You have to take your best stab and you might say, listen, guys, I don't know whether Trump would invoke executive privilege on this question. I haven't gone over every question in human history or in human possibility with him. So I'm not going to answer that question. Instead, you just say, you just say, listen, I can't answer the question because he might invoke executive privilege. That's what Session said. He was asked about conversations about the Comey firing. And he said, I can't confirm or deny any of that because Trump might invoke executive privilege, which is perfectly legit. Those were put in writing and sent to the president, and he made those public. So uh, uh, he made that public. So you'd had no verbal uh, conversation with him about the firing uh, of Mr. Comey? I'm not able to discuss with you or confirm or deny uh, the nature of uh, private conversations that I may have had with the president on this subject or others. And I know that um, how this will be discussed, but that's the rules that has you know, been long others, adhered to by the Department of Justice, as you know, Senator Feinstein. You're a longtime colleague, <laughs> but we heard Mr. Coates and we heard Admiral Rogers say essentially the same thing when it was easy just to say if the answer was no, no. Well, the easy would have been easy to say if it was yes, yes, but both would have been improper. Okay, and uh, and Sessions, of course, is exactly right about this. But this leads the Democrats into what they really wanted from the hearing yesterday, and this is why I say that the way Democrats are pursuing this is is just politically toxic and it's grandstanding. Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, he goes after Jeff Sessions, and and now we're just going to get a series of Democrats grandstanding. So here is Senator Wyden saying that Sessions is stonewalling, even though what Sessions is doing is absolutely not stonewalling. Invoking privilege, invoking DOJ rules, which do exist, uh, is just, that, that's not stonewalling, okay? I'm sorry for Democrats who want answers to these questions, but Jeff Sessions is not going to have anything to say on this anyway. And I know you want your ad of you grilling Sessions so that you can look all heroic for your, your movie version of yourself, but it's just absurd. Here's Senator Wyden doing exactly that. I believe the American people have had it with stonewalling. Americans don't want to hear that answers to relevant questions are privileged and off limits, or that they can't be provided in public, or that it would be, quote, inappropriate for witnesses to tell us what they know. We are talking about an attack on our democratic institutions, and stonewalling of any kind is unacceptable. And General Sessions has acknowledged that there is no legal basis for this stonewalling. So now okay, well, he hasn't actually acknowledged that, and uh, Senator Ryden is full of crap. Senator Kamala Harris is, of course, the one who they want to run in 2020 because she's black and she's a woman, which means she must be qualified, according to the left. She was the attorney general here in the state of California. Awful, awful attorney general uh, here in the state of California. Here is Senator Harris basically attempting to... She, she is, as I said yesterday, like an Aaron Sorkin script when it meets reality. So an Aaron Sorkin script... It's always somebody who's very intelligent, firing question after question. And finally, Jack Nicholson breaks and he says, uh, you're damn right, I ordered the code red. And so Kamala Harris is waiting for that moment. It, it never actually happens because in real life, you just sound like a dolt when you continue to interrupt people over and over and not let them answer questions. Senator Harris did it so often that she was forced, that the, the chair of the committee, Richard Burr, was forced to tell her to stop it. And then, of course, the left goes, he told a woman to cut it out. It's not that she's a woman, it's that she's a jerk. I mean, <laughs> you're not allowed to just... She'd say, yes or no, yes or no. And he'd say, well, it's not like yes or no question. Or he'd say, yes, but. And then she'd try to cut him off before he could get to the but. 
so that she could catch him in a perjury trap because a qualified statement would not be grounds for perjury, but a non-qualified statement might be. So here is Kamala Harris trying to play this exact game yesterday. Sir, I'm just because asking you about the DOJ policy you referred to. a policy that goes beyond just the attorney general. Is that policy in writing somewhere? Uh, I, I think so. So did you not consult it before you came before this committee, knowing we would ask you questions about it? Well, we, we talked about it. The, the policy is did based... Did you ask that it would be shown to you? The policy is based on the principle that the president... Sir, uh, I'm not asking about the principle. I'm asking when well, you, you would be asked the these question. questions and you would rely on that policy, Chairman, did you yeah. not ask your staff to show you the policy that would be the basis for you refusing to answer the Chairman, majority of questions that have been asked you? should be allowed to answer the question. Senators will allow the chair <laughs> to control the hearing. Okay, and everyone, oh, how dare you interrupt Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris interrupted Jeff Sessions 18 times in one exchange. Sessions interrupted Kamala Harris twice. And the media went, oh, Kamala Harris, hero, hero, hero of the day. Again, all of this is just grandstanding. It's just grandstanding. And it is destroying the political culture of the country. It happens on both sides. I'm not going to blame only the left. But right now, I am going to blame the left because it's the left that has decided that it is vital to uphold this myth of Trump-Russia collusion. Uh, Senator Heinrich did the exact same thing. This is, I believe, Martin Heinrich. Uh, from uh, and, and he does the exact same thing. He says that he that that Sessions is impeding the investigation, impeding. You raised your right hand here today and you said that you would solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And now you're not answering questions. You're impeding this investigation. So my understanding of the legal standard is that you either answer the question. That's the best outcome. You say, this is classified, can't answer it here. I'll answer it in closed session. That's bucket number two. Bucket number three is to say, I'm invoking executive privilege. There is no appropriateness bucket. It is not a legal standard. Can you tell me what are these longstanding DOJ rules that protect conversations made in the executive without invoking executive privilege. Senator, I'm protecting the president's constitutional right by not uh, giving um, it away before he has a chance uh, to You're having view it. it. And secondly, I am telling the truth and answering your question in saying it's a longstanding uh, policy of the Department of Justice. Are those not policies time written? Even uh, and to make sure the president has full opportunity uh, to uh, decide these issues. Can you share those policies with us? Are well, they written down at the Department of Justice? I believe they are. Uh, this is the appropriateness legal standard for not answering congressional inquiries. I'm asking about your personal knowledge from this committee, which has a constitutional obligation to get to the bottom of this. There okay, are again, two they're, investigations They're all looking here. for campaign ads. Here is the fact of the matter, okay? The Attorney General cited the need to protect President Trump's right to invoke executive privilege, the Department of Justice says the argument is supported by two 1982 memos. They said, quote, declining to answer questions at a congressional hearing about confidential conversations with the president is longstanding executive branch wide practice. The basis for this historical practice is laid out in the 1982 memos from President Reagan and then Assistant Attorney General Olson. OK, and that that memo fully explains exactly what his sessions is doing. This is all a bunch of claptrap and it's just it's just foolishness. This is not a win for the Democrats. This is a big loss for the Democrats. They couldn't generate any sort of headline off of it, which is bad for them and pretty good for the Trump administration. Meanwhile, President Trump did something uh, unbelievably dumb yesterday. Apparently, he went in front of the Senate and he was talking with the Senate Republicans and he told them that the House bill 
that you recall, he celebrated at the White House with Paul Ryan and basically declared himself the champion of healthcare is too mean. No, really, he said that it was too mean. It's just too mean. I'm old enough to remember like three weeks ago when Trump called Trump care awesome. Here he was at the White House doing exactly that just a few minutes ago. I think most importantly, yes, premiums will be coming down. Yes, deductibles will be coming down. But very importantly, it's a great plan. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. It's a great plan. Great, great, great. Except for that it's mean, and now he wants more money poured into it. This is the problem with having a president who doesn't actually understand the policy. The reason that I mention this is because all of this hubbub would actually be okay if we were getting legislation passed in the meantime that was good and worthwhile. Unfortunately, President Trump does not have the wherewithal or understanding of these policies in order to push it. So we're going to end up with a worse version of the Senate bill. I heard a rumor that Mitch McConnell is going to ram through health care combined with tax reform so that he can create this giant crap sandwich and then have all of us swallow it. That would just be terrific. I mean, that would be very, very exciting. Well, before we get to things I like and things I hate, I want to take a second and say thank you to our advertisers over at Upside.com. So if you're a business traveler and you're interested in getting the best possible deal, Upside.com, travel they, they bundle your business travel together. So your, your plane and your hotel, we use it here at the office. You get a cheaper price and then... You also get an Amazon gift card kicked back to you. Upside gives you free Amazon gift cards after you get the cheaper price. So not only do you save on the, on the actual flight, you personally, right, your company saves on the flight, and then you personally get the Amazon gift card. Right now, if you're a frequent business traveler, you can save literally hundreds of dollars a year, thousands of dollars a year, depending on how often you travel. Right now, if you use my name, Ben, at Upside.com, you are guaranteed to get at least a $200 Amazon gift card for your first trip. My name, Ben, right now you receive at least a $200 Amazon gift card for your first trip. It's a no-brainer. You say big on travel, you get that big gift card every single trip. Upside.com is fantastic. We use it here at the office. I've used it myself, and I've used the Amazon gift cards as well. Minimum purchase is required. You can see the site for complete details. Again, Upside.com, and then you use that promo code, Ben, so that they know that we sent you as well. Okay, time for some things I like, and then we will do some things that I hate. So, things I like. Uh, there's a great book that I am in the middle of right now. I'm doing some sort of rereading about the history of Western civilization. Always a light topic. Uh, there's a great book called The Passion of the Western Mind, ha- Understanding the Ideas that Have Shaped Our Worldview. I love this book by Richard Tarnas. And the basic idea here is the, the history of Western thought and its development. It really is a, a good read. He's a very, very good writer as well. And it's, it's terrific. Um, it's you know, you have to take it a little bit slowly, but it's really well researched. And it, it talks about the development of the ideas that have led to the rise of Western civilization. And it does not leave out uh, the centrality of religious worldview in all of this, uh, this sort of dual polarities of Greece and Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, he talks about that at length in The Passion of the Western Mind, tracing it all the way through to modern nihilism and where we're going from here. Passion of the Western Mind, terrific book. Go pick it up. Okay, time for 1,000 Things I Hate. Let's do it. Okay, I'm getting very sick of this word woke. Okay, we keep hearing this word woke. I don't know where this came from. Uh, I don't understand why improperly using a verb is suddenly a, a mark of coolness. But apparently people are woke if they are leftists. If you're a leftist, then you are woke because you have been awakened to the horrible world in which you live and all of the tragic circumstances in which you, in which you take part. An ESPN reporter yesterday said that the Warriors are not going to go to the White House. I talked about this yesterday, but he said that because the Warriors are pretty woke. They're pretty woke. Here's this ESPN reporter. 
After hearing that some of the Warriors may have already made a decision not to attend a potential White House visit, uh, the owner of the Warriors on first take earlier said, uh, basically, he couldn't believe he was getting that question already just hours after they won the championship. But he says that's something we'll worry about at that time. That's a long time from now. Uh, it is a long time from now. But what are you hearing about the, the, the champions? Will they be attending uh, any potential White House ceremony? Well, the Warriors just put out a statement saying no decision has been made. But I talked to Draymond Green last night. He said he wasn't going. David West said he wasn't going. And I also got a text from somebody else within the team that said they'd be surprised if any of the players went. So, you know, who knows when that date will be. But this has been a team that, uh, you know, is pretty woke, especially their coach. I'd be shocked if he attended. He's been about as hard on Trump as any coach in America, Greg Popovich included. So uh, yeah. I, I would be surprised if any of the players went or Steve Kerr as well. Okay, again, they're pretty woke, man. They're pre okay, so they, here's why I hate this woke phrase. Because the implication is, if you do not believe the leftist agenda, then you are asleep. You're just asleep. You don't get it, man. You're, your mind hasn't been opened. It just hasn't. Okay, is it possible that maybe you're actually closed-minded if you are woke? That this woke nonsense is just a way for you to fail to acknowledge that there is a legitimate other point of view that does not think that the United States is the worst place on earth or that you're mandated by law to not see President Trump at the White House. This phrase needs to go, this, this word needs to go, woke is really dumb, and everybody who keeps using it, unless you're using it facetiously, which is hilarious, if you're using it seriously, uh, may, could I please recommend that instead of that you say informed or agrees with me, because that's more accurate. Okay, other things that I hate. So Molly Hemingway, who I really generally like, she's over at The Federalist, um, but she was on television the other night, and she was talking about people who are critical of Trump and they can't accept why he won. They, can't, they just can't accept that he won in the first place. Here's what she had to say. Obviously, the administration wants to turn the page, but the president does keep kind of weighing in on this investigation as it unfolds. Well, and I think Ivanka kind of spoke to something that a lot of people are feeling, too, which is they understand that there is a lot of rage about this president, and they do want a little bit of pushback on this, and so I think they're looking for that. I, mean, I keep on remembering that last debate, I think it was, when Donald Trump was asked if he would accept the results of the election if he would lose, and he said something like he would wait and see how the election went. And we spent many days talking about what a threat that was and how damaging that was to the norms where you accept the electoral results no matter who wins. And yet here we are in June with a huge class of people who seem largely to be unable or unwilling to accept the results of an election and doing everything in their power to just gum up the works and whatnot. And so I think there are parts of this that are self-inflicted by the Trump administration. There's a whole heck of a lot of this that is about people just not being able to accept who won the presidency. Okay, so I think that she's 100% right when it comes to Democrats. She then applied that logic to a bunch of people who she called the, the never-Trumpers on Twitter. Again, I, I don't, aside from like David Frum and maybe Jennifer Rubin, people who are squish, uh, squish Republicans to begin with, uh, I don't see a lot of this on the right. I don't see a lot of people who fail to accept that Trump won the election, and that's why they're critical of Trump. Again, I think there are a lot of people who are critical of him when he does silly things, and they're not critical of him when he does good things, and I think that is perfectly appropriate. I think that that I've seen it a lot on Twitter. People saying, well, you just don't understand why Trump won. No, I, I get why Trump won and I get that he won. And I think that that's a good thing for a, a lot of reasons. I also think that he needs to do a good job. OK, so before we part ways, uh, I just want to do a quick Bible analysis. So we've gone through, as I mentioned, the entire Old Testament. Uh, we, we went through all five books of Moses in the last year. So now we have moved on to the Haftorahs. The Haftorahs are these sections from 
the, uh, from the Nevi'im and Ketuvim, from the extra writings. And uh, those extra sections uh, are read at the same time as the Torah reading, or right after the Torah reading, as homage to the fact that back in Roman days, Jews were not allowed to read the Bible. So instead, they read these sort of, they, they, they read sections from the, from the prophets and the writings uh, that referred back to the Bible to remind people. So this one is from the book of Judges. This, of course, is the famous story uh, right before the walls of Jericho come a-tumbling down. Uh, this is from Joshua chapter 2. And this is, uh, there's a, a prostitute named Rachav uh, who, in, who basically covers for these guys. And she said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you completely destroyed. And as soon as we heard, our hearts melted, nor did there remain any more spirit in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The reason I read this section is because there seems to be this prevailing notion among people on the left that the more the United States loses, the more we will be respected. The more the West loses, the more the, the, the West gives, the more the West weakens itself. The, the better things are going to be. This is sheer hogwash. That biblical section is trying to say that one of the proofs of God's provenance for most people across world history has been success. The United States is not successful, is not good because it's successful, it's successful because it's good, but people also tend to think that it is good because it's successful. So in other words, the United States maximizing its power, winning wars is actually important. And you can see that terrorists have always been emboldened by American weakness not by American strength. And so it is imperative that the United States military be built up. It is imperative that if we're going to get into a war, we win the war decisively. It is imperative we destroy our enemies wherever they lie. And it is imperative that the West not back down in the name of political correctness so as to appease people in the hopes that this will somehow convince them to our side. It just won't. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with more of the fallout from this horrific shooting in Alexandria, Virginia, and much, much more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.